0: and asked them if they knew what it was, and they said, oh yeah, that's Wells. Now, up to that time, it was not common knowledge that Wells made noises that were uh, what we now think of as songs.
1: Welcome to Always West Seattle, where the people, places, happenings, and history of West Seattle intersect. I'm your host, Keith Bacon. That's Uncle John and Keith Bacon.
2: Welcome to this edition to Voices of Experience. My name is Paul Casey, along with producer Benny Mathers. Keith Bacon started a podcast last year which focused on the community of West Seattle. It's called Always West Seattle, and I'm going to play part of a recent episode for a couple of reasons. One, it demonstrates what a first-class podcast sounds like, and two, Maybe it will inspire you to start your own community-focused podcast. I believe you will hear how powerful a podcast can be. But first up, Uncle John wrote a book called Greatest No on Earth. The book is a collection of historical facts and oddities. I've always maintained that fact is stranger than fiction. With all these ridiculous conspiracy theories circulating social media, I thought it would be interesting to hear what really happened, rather than just made-up theories which are not based on reality. The Mariners have joined the Storm and Sounders for providing some great entertainment and competition this summer. I know I speak for many when I say that we all hope the Mariners will keep their winning ways going after the All-Star break and that they will make the playoffs this year. I'm going out on a limb. I like this team, I like the direction it's going, and I do believe... The Mariners will make the playoffs this season. Back with Uncle John's curiosities, rarities, and amazing oddities in just a moment.
3: You're listening to Voices of Experience with Paul Casey. Visit VoicesOfExperience.com and take a five-minute self-employment quiz. That's VoicesOfExperience.com. The higher you score on the quiz, the higher your prospects for success. One more time, visit VoicesOfExperience.com.
2: I have a guest by the name of Gordon Uncle John Javna. And he wrote a book called Uncle John's Bathroom Reader, Greatest Know on Earth, Curiosities, Rarities, and Amazing Oddities. So it's based on the love of things that he has for the weird, the bizarre, and the strange. And some of it not so strange. Some of it just very enlightening. So my first question to Uncle John is, how can he best describe the contents of the book?
0: We have two different kinds of stories. We have have just the quick hits, the short ones, and then the long, slightly longer ones. In this book, one of the ones that I love is the story of a guy named uh, Frank Watlington, who was an engineer... Uh, working for the Navy, he was stationed in Bermuda, and it was his job to listen to the ocean. In other words, he had a, what they called a hydrophone, which is a microphone that was submerged, and he listened for enemy activity, possible enemy activity, submarines and ships and, that were not visible. Was this
2: like during World War uh, II or something? Uh,
0: this was in the fifties, nineteen fifties. Got it. After after World War II,
2: Cold War, and
0: he stood. Cold War. Exactly. He started hearing not just human noises, but he heard some other noises—clicking and and growling and howling—and he did not know what they were. And he put together a tape of just—he he was recording everything. So he put together a, a tape of just those weird sounds. And though he couldn't talk about his mission, couldn't talk about his work because it was classified, he did bring that tape to to some fishermen and asked them if they knew what it was, and they said, oh, yeah, that's whales. Now, up to that time, it was not common knowledge that whales uh, made noises that were uh, what we now think of as songs. Mm. And um, sailors knew about these sounds, but they thought it was the ghosts of sailors who died at sea. Um, I mean, we're talking centuries back, but now they knew these, these modern fishermen knew that they were whales. They knew that because they heard them at the same time they knew the whales were in the area. So, uh, this guy, Wadlington, just kept the information to himself because it was really, he wasn't allowed to talk about it. But then in 1967, he met a guy who uh, was doing research on whales, and he said to the guy, Well, you know, they, they sing. And the guy had never heard that before. And it's this guy doing research. He He was there doing research because he knew that whales were being hunted to extinction. And he wanted to gather more information about them. So he, so Wallaceum gave this guy Payne is his name, gave him the tape, and the guy starts listening to it. And He says, "Here's patterns and things repeat. It sounds repeated." And he realized that they, they were actually what we call singing, but they were communicating. So he wanted to raise awareness of the plight of of whales. So his idea was to take this, this tape of the whale songs and make a record out of it, a what we now call vinyl. <laughs> was vinyl but now we don't call them records we call them vinyl and uh, and he ha- it, it was a big success they sold 100,000 copies which is still the record for any nature recording but also National Geographic agreed to include a flexi disc of the uh, of the, the songs of the humpback whales in all of its editions for one one month all of its international editions a flexi disc for those who Either don't know or don't remember. It's one of those. It's sort of plastic-coated paper uh, that was uh, uh, could be played on a record player on a phonograph. Oh, I uh, vaguely they, remember they that. Yeah, for,
2: I, I got that. Yeah, yeah, I put it, yeah They you used saw them in they on the, the back of yes. boxes. Right. Yeah.
0: Exactly. So um, they they but the thing is they printed they pressed ten point five million of them, which is they still holds the record as the largest single. Uh, pressing of uh, of, a, of a, a recorded, you know, a record. So uh, that actually did. The amazing thing is, it actually did make people aware of of the plight of whales, in particular humpback whales, and it helped get people on board and curb whale hunting. And result is that humpbacks, in particular, all whales are, have come back somewhat, but, but humpbacks, in particular went from a po- worldwide population of, it was down to about
2: 7,000. It's now up to over 80,000. So it's a oh. big, big success, and that's the reason. See, that's why I love stories like that. I mean, unintended consequences. So you have so many different categories here. How about another story? I love the little ones,
0: you know, the the lucky finds. The kid, the guy that found the, uh, he was cleaning out his, his mother's attic, and he found a Christmas present that had never been wrapped from 1988. And it was in a bag with a receipt, so he knew that, that it, was, it cost $38 when it was new, and it was a video game, still in its wrapper. It was called Kid Icarus, and he did some research and found that it was very rare and, very, and a cult classic, uh, or, or desired anyway, and he was able to sell it. Remember, it was sold for, he, it was purchased for $38, he sold it for $9,000. But there's another story in the book that I like, a little bit more in depth, about a guy named William Mitchell. Who was a food scientist for uh, General Foods, which is a company that no longer exists. It's now part of Kraft, but at the time it was a big, uh, a big food company. And they acquired the Kool Aid brand. And uh, Mitchell was uh, given the job of finding a way to uh, make carbonated Kool Aid. The idea was that it would compete with Pepsi or other sodas. You know that they could they could offer a, a less expensive alternative to to uh, soda pop. And uh, he was able to come up with a couple of solutions. His first one was carbonated ice cubes. Uh, only problem was that it had to be frozen at fourteen had to be kept at fourteen degrees Fahrenheit. And at, in supermarkets, the managers very often turned the heat or the cooling down on, on their freezing freezer compartments, they they changed it to just below freezing, like thirty uh thirty degrees, which is fine for frozen foods, but it's not fine for frozen ice cubes with the carbon dioxide. And that and they all melted. So that had to go out. But he found another use for it. And that is Pop Rocks. If you remember those, that I candy. I do
2: I do. You put those in your mouth and they had a little, kinda and that, like alive in your mouth the first time you do it you're like what did i just do yeah well in
0: fact that was the re- reaction to uh people at at uh, general foods they thought and they spit it out but he thought it was great and he continued to make small batches and give them out of parties he called it atomic candy and he gave it out of parties and that was it one day he he uh, gave some to a uh, a guy who was the head of the canadian arm of Uh, General Foods. And that guy thought it was fantastic. And he built a section of his factory devoted just to making uh, pop rocks. But he didn't want to sell them. He wanted to give them away as a promotion with uh, potato chips and pretzels. And kids started chasing the, the, uh, uh, the, the delivery trucks, and they realized they had a hit on their hand. But that's only half the story. The other half of the story is that the guy, William Mitchell, who invented this, invented some other things, he invented Cool Whip and he also invented Tang.
2: Yeah, and the thing about uh, some of those products he turned out, I remember Tang from the nineteen sixties mm-hmm. where it was part of the space program. That's what the astronauts drink, right?
0: <laughs> yes, indeed. I, I never liked Tang that much myself.
2: I don't, I don't know about you, but I agree my with you. I, I, I did it. I tried it, but uh, yeah, I, I kind of agree. It was probably good that the you know Men who went to space had it there, but yeah. doing it back on Earth for any length of time. I don't even know if. Do they still have Tang? Is it still out there on the shelves? I don't know.
0: That's yeah. a good question.
2: See, there you go. Trivia. Your next the question. research. Yeah, exactly. Well, I <laughs> really uh, enjoyed the book. A couple more tidbits and then I'll let you go.
0: Oh, uh, well, this is kind of timely. Um, we have a uh, couple of pages of what we call misconceptions. They are things that are commonly thought, and uh, they're not true. Uh, black Friday, I always thought that it was called Black Friday because it's the day when retailers are most profitable and their ledgers actually go into the black. They actually show a profit, you know, on that day. But that's not why it, uh, why it's called Black Friday. It's called Black Friday because in Philadelphia, police came up with the term because they that was the day that the day after Thanksgiving was the traditional day for the Army-Navy college football game, and it was held in Philadelphia, which meant they the cops had to work overtime. And not only did they have to work overtime, but they had to manage these crowds of of crazy sports fans, and deal with the uh, with the suburbanites that were coming into the city to do their shopping and spend their holidays. And so they gave it the name Black Friday, and it stuck. But what's the difference between apple juice and apple cider? I thought that was kind of interesting. And the answer is that cider is the liquid that you squeeze out of apples, and that's called cider. If they
2: filter it all out and pasteurize it, then it's apple juice. There's one that I read. It's kind of macabre, I guess, but it's about death. Boy, when I get you on the phone, I'm going to tell you one that I read very recently. and it's, And then all of a sudden I go down one or two. From that oh, and I is. see it and it's the one that I just heard recently and it's about death and it says you die twice you die physically once and then the last time is when the last person utters your name and I was going to say when I got hmm. you on the phone I'm going to tell you that one and sure enough it was right there the next or two down from the Mark Twain quote that's Gordon Uncle John Javna, and his book is called Uncle John's Bathroom Reader Greatest No on Earth And if you would like a copy of the book, you can just order it on Amazon. I don't think this interview did the justice of the book. And I just think you have to have faith that you will enjoy this book again if you enjoy trivia that's based on fact.
3: Are you thinking about self-employment? Visit Amazon or order a book called Pre-Flight Checklist – Is self-employment for you? Pre-flight addresses eight myths surrounding self-employment and includes a self-employment quiz. The higher you score, the higher your prospects for success. Visit Amazon Books and input Pre-Flight Checklist. That's Pre-Flight Checklist.
2: Always West Seattle is a podcast that is produced and hosted by Keith Bacon. I'm going to play part of one of his recent podcasts for you today. This is a great example of a high quality podcast that is locally produced. Maybe someone living in another community like Edmonds or Federal Way or Issaquah could take inspiration from this and start their own local community podcast. Keith's podcast has been running for about a year now. This particular podcast is from June 17th and an interview with Wes Olson, a fourth generation West Seattleite. Now, Wes was struggling with some of the new people moving to West Seattle. I guess some of his attitude may be, I really like the community the way it used to be. But then he took up photography and now he looks at the new arrivals literally
1: through a different lens. Welcome to Always West Seattle, where the people, places, happenings, and history of West Seattle intersect. I'm your host, Keith Bacon. In this episode, we'll get to know Wes Olson, a longtime West Seattleite who's discovered a new way of viewing and valuing his community through his passion for street photography. Before we move in for that close up, I'd like to ask you to do me a great big favor and hit that little subscribe button on whatever podcast platform you're listening on, which is also a great place to share your comments and reviews. You can also connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Our handle on all three social platforms is Always Podcast. One of the things I love about street photography is the way that people are captured in very candid moments, not posing for pictures or framing themselves in a particular way. In the age of the selfie, it's definitely a refreshing take, and sometimes the results can be pretty surprising, including to the subjects of the photos themselves, because street photography creates opportunities for people to see themselves in a very different light. It's a thought I took with me to the junction recently when I asked people I met on the street if they thought other people ever saw them differently than they see themselves. And here are some of the revealing things people of the Junction had to say.
4: Oh my goodness, that's a good question. Um, yeah, I think sometimes people see me as more courageous than I feel. I feel nervous and they see me as re- being more outgoing and and willing to take risks. When they compliment me for like, gosh, I can't believe that you did that or you tried that or, you know, you, you weren't afraid to do that. And inside I was like, oh my gosh, that was the scariest thing ever. Yeah. Probably every day. It maybe it depends on the hour of the day too.
3: <laughs> when I got my two dogs,
4: a lot of people I was so excited I got two dogs and I'd be like, "Oh, I got two dogs!" and they'd be like, "You don't seem like a dog person." They were surprised by that, and I was like, "That kind of hurts my feelings."
3: <laughs> Do you think I wouldn't be a dog person? <laughs> like, what? Do you think I have no soul?
2: Uh, oh yes, yes. Uh, I think probably they
4: see me more as an outgoing person. And
2: um, and I don't always see myself that way. So, yeah.
4: It's endless. I don't know where to begin.
2: Both <laughs> well, in looks, every level. Yeah.
4: Because
2: I think people prejudge.
4: Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Like, just in ways of, like, the way your partner can view you. And I think that also has a tremendous impact on your mental health, too. And, like, when... Your partner sees you, you know, I think sometimes understands me more than I understand myself too, so.
1: Sometimes the calls are coming from inside the house. Yeah. <laughs> yep. I think a lot of people see me differently. Um, I'm gay and I don't think I come across that way and it's nothing I try to do. Um, it's just that I don't think I'm recognizable that way. I get that too. Okay, good deal. I've taken those um, business tests where you you answer
3: the questions as to how you perceive yourself. And then colleagues answer questions
4: about how they perceive you. And it's always a little bit surprising.
1: If people see me differently, I don't see myself. It's actually there is a whole thing about you never see yourself other than the mirror. The way I see myself is the way you see me, and I see in you a reflection of me. (laughs) Maybe I don't even exist. (laughs) I hope you do. I think you're amazing. (laughs) (laughs) If only that could make me lose some weight, that would be even better.
2: You're listening to Voices of Experience. We are featuring a podcast, Always West Seattle, with Keith Bacon. This podcast is an example of what a local podcast can do to highlight the residents and businesses of a community. Perhaps someone listening to this segment may want to consider launching their own podcast in their own community. Back with Keith Bacon and Wes Olson.
1: How we see ourselves as individuals and as a community is something I find myself thinking about whenever I'm scrolling through the latest photos from Wes Olson, a local budding talent who recently returned to sharing his work on Instagram under the handle West Seattle Streets. We talked recently about what led him down this path and how he's capturing our everyday history through his camera lens. How did you get started in photography?
4: Well, I've always liked to be creative and I've been creative most of my life. So if I'm not painting, I'm drawing. If I'm not drawing, I'm writing. And then in 2019, my daughter went to a class trip to Greece and we bought her a camera, a beginner Canon SL2. And she took it with her and she took fantastic photos with it and stuff like that. And so when she came home and showed us all the photos, I was like, well, this is kind of cool. Did some more research because that's what I like to do. So I went on YouTube and I was looking at photographers and stuff like that. And so I decided to take her Canon and go down to Alki and stuff like that. Just take photos and just see what I can do and mess around with apertures and colors and lights and shadows and whatnot and enjoyed it. So I bought myself the exact same camera. I like candid randomness. I don't Mm -hmm. sometimes I think a lot of things feel too set up. Mm -hmm. And although that's not always bad for me, you know, it it just didn't feel right. And I started watching a lot of street photographer videos and a lot of people that were doing great stuff on Instagram. And I thought, well, you know, I don't see anyone in West Seattle really capturing what's going on, the people in West Seattle. Yeah. Uh, So I thought I'd just start doing that. So I started going down to Alki and taking photos of people On skateboards and
1: walking around Mm -hmm. and at the farmer's market, especially because we have a great farmer's market. Are there some elements of your style that you would say like, oh, I I definitely love these kinds of things or I avoid those kinds of things?
4: Yeah, I love candid photos. I like people being people. Like I posted this morning a guy wearing sunglasses. And at the time, I, I wasn't thinking about it. But after I took it, I realized that there's a poster behind him of a woman wearing sunglasses, Mm. and there 's kind of a synchronicity with that as you look at it, you see uh, a real person and someone that 's real, but it 's a picture of a real person both wearing mm-hmm. sunglasses and then you start thinking about that and, and looking for those kind of things and looking for geometry and looking for you know sunlight and shadows and looking for interesting people. People are awesome they're yeah. they 're full
1: of expressions that 's what i that 's what i 'm looking for. And that is your process. Maybe you go to a particular spot and you're not just like snapping photos of everything. What are you looking for? Where do you find inspiration?
4: It's funny because before I took up photography, I would look down a lot as I'm walking. Oftentimes maybe you're thinking about something else, you're looking down. And now I find myself looking up and looking around and uh, looking at people's faces Mm -hmm. and You know, and so you just kind of get a feel. Sometimes, you know, you can go down to the like farmer's market. We'll take that as an example. Mm -hmm. And you look at people and you can kind of get a vibe. You can see if people really want their photo taken today or not. Mm -hmm. Uh, You can tell that some people dressed up real nice. And so maybe they do want their photo taken. (laughs) Uh, When Derek, when DJ Moon was down there, he would create a great atmosphere while he was playing during the farmer's market. And people seemed happier and more inclined to have their photos taken Mm -hmm. people with dogs i try to stay away from people with kids unless i kind of get a feeling like they're cool with that just because just being polite Uh, when i go down to alki lots of people are on exhibition there
1: how cool i can definitely relate to the way that you described how you just walk around the neighborhood now since I started this podcast, you know, and, and the idea was, you know, I want to be more connected with my neighborhood and specifically yeah. with the people in it. And the way that I walk through the junction now is is very different mm-hmm. <laughs> than the way that I used to before or any part of, of West Seattle. So you got on my radar through your amazing Instagram feed, West Seattle Streets. Tell me why you started that.
4: I've been a long time West Seattleite. Mm-hmm. Fourth generation. I grew up in the house that my dad grew up in. Oh wow! Um, I live in the house that my wife grew up in, mm-hmm. and we're only two blocks away from each other. And <laughs> went to all the local schools around here, and uh-huh. and so I know West Seattle pretty well. And I remember my wife and I will often sit and talk about, you know, oh, do you remember when this place was there? Oh yeah, mm-hmm. and how many times has that has changed? And <laughs> and so we'll we'll reminisce about those things. And there was a, a moment, maybe in the mid twenty teens, where I just I I didn't like West Seattle. I didn't. It, it mm. started to get really full and packed, and and mm-hmm. you know you, you started to get in that. Especially if you lived here all your life, you started getting that like oh you know these people migrating to my little small town, and mm. and it, and it started to frustrate me. And bike paths and oh bike paths are taking away all the. And I started getting really grumpy about living here. And I mm. think t- starting to take photos of the people around me and what's going on began to help me realize that this is still a very, very special place. And, Mm. you know, people are people and change is change and it's always going to happen. You can't really stop it. And so you might as
2: well just enjoy it. If you want to hear the entire episode or all other West Seattle podcasts, Google always West Seattle. They're all separate words, always West Seattle and find the platform that is right for you. And by the way, this particular segment you've been listening to is called how we see ourselves. On October fourth, 1957, the American space program began. That's the day the Soviet Union launched a rocket into space called Sputnik. For 21 nights, the Sputnik satellite was visible to millions of people as it circled the globe. The exultation quickly turned into anxiety. If this rocket could carry a satellite, could it also carry nuclear weapons? Welcome to the arms race and space race. The U.S. immediately created NASA. Over 400,000 individuals and 20,000 American companies participated in the space program, contributing immensely to our high standard of living that we enjoy today. That's all the time we have for this edition to Voices of Experience. My thanks to Uncle John, Keith Bacon, and Wes Olson for sharing their wisdom and experience with us today. In addition to hearing Voices of Experience on KKNW on Tuesdays at 4 p.m. and on Wednesdays at 8 a.m., you can now listen to Voices of Experience on Kixie Sundays at 9 a.m. You may be listening to the show at any one of those platforms right now. Any comments about what you heard today? Call the Voices of Experience hotline at 425-653-1166. If you would like me to get your comments on the air, please keep your comments short. That's 425-653-1166. Now, what is Voices of Experience all about? Simply, we talk with people with experience in their fields. My belief is that experience is our best coach. And following this show, Lisa Downs hosts Reigniting You. No matter what stage you are in life, if you are thinking of making a career change, Lisa helps you navigate the challenges and the new opportunities that await you. If you are listening to KIXI right now, her show is up next. My name is Paul Casey along with producer Benny Mathers. Thanks for listening. Quote of the week. It's an unfortunate human failing. That a full pocketbook often groans more loudly than an empty stomach. Franklin D. Roosevelt. I end every show with the quote of the week, but that one no truer words ever spoken.